Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. All right, first, uh, first Samuel. Let's um, let's look at this short passage briefly and learn from the Word of God. <clears throat> We're going to pick up at. Verse 10, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. This is 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10. Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul is slain his thousands and David is ten thousands? David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who is in distress and everyone who is in debt and everyone who is discontented gathered to him and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. All right, so you remember the first part of chapter 21 is David David is in his wilderness wanderings. He's fleeing from Saul. Saul Saul is pursuing, and uh, David goes to this priestly city, Nob, goes to Ahimelech and asks for food and a weapon. And so you remember that. And um, where does he get the food? What kind of food was it? Consecrated bread, right? The bread that want, the bread that was on the show table in the tabernacle that was switched out once a week, uh, they they ate from that bread. Now that bread was to be reserved for the priests and to be eaten in a particular location. And yet, Ahimelech knew that um, God would have him show mercy and not sacrifice. Right, and so that's that's what Jesus said of the Pharisees when he drew this out as an example. Okay, and so now now the um, he also takes Goliath's sword, and he, where is Goliath from? Gath. Where does he go? Gath. He arrives in in Gath with Goliath's sword, the champion of Gath, and. Uh, why why he would go there is perplexing but in the only way for me to make sense of it is david feels more safe among his enemies than he does among his people at this point saul i mean it, it puts in contrast just how bloodthirsty how dangerous saul is he'd rather be among the gentiles he'd rather be among his enemies he'd rather be in gath 
among this king than he would be around Saul. Much more serious for him to be with Saul. Um, That's how much he fears Saul. And that'll come out more as we go through this passage. So he fears Saul so much, he decided to hide among his enemies. Um, Goliath's hometown, he goes to with that sword. Uh, The servants of Achish know David, right? They know a lot about David. They know that he's the king of the land, right? So the word of his anointing, the word of Samuel's anointing of him has gone out. And they know this song, the song that was sung in Israel by by the Israelites, right? Saul has slain his his thousands and David is ten thousands. And they, they cite that. Um, who, who were the ten thousands that he had slain? The Philistines. These are Philistines. They know the song. Of course they know the song. Your enemies know the songs you sing to taunt them. And um, they're, they're quoting the song. And of course it puts, some, it puts fear in the heart of the king of Achish. But look at verse 12. David took these words to heart. He overhears what they're saying about him. And David gets afraid. Right? And that, that makes perfect sense. I mean, it's not the, you know, he, he wants their protection. And, and they're quoting the song, which is about the death of Philistines. David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. He realizes that coming to Gath is not such a good idea. And, and he, he gets out of it by, by feigning madness. He, he deceives them, right? He deceives them. He disguised his sanity. He did that by... Acting insanely, he scribbled on the doors of the gates uh, to the city, scribbling and writing things and, you know, things that made only sense to him. Uh, He let the saliva run down into his beard. And um, now a, a question to come back to, and this is something that we keep coming back to in these passages, is this, is this lying? Is, is or is this merely deception and allowed? So it's something I want to return to and, and think about. Is David lying to get himself out of this situation? He's not, he is deceiving them. We would all agree with that. He's not insane, right? He is acting. This is, this is an act he's putting on. He's like, uh-oh, I shouldn't be here. How am I going to get out of this? I'll act insane. I'll drool. I'll write on the walls. I'll do whatever I have to do to get out of here. Is it lying? Is it lying? That's the question. Should he have just said, King Achish, I need your help. King Achish, um, I, I know I'm carrying Goliath's sword, but I really need your help now. And, and that song, I mean, it wasn't really 10,000. It was more like, you know, 500 not a big deal. Um, no, he knows that there's no chance of doing that. The king, of, the king would kill him. And so he is, he, he just figures out this plan 
to um, deceive Achish. And again, to return to the the topic of lying, uh, some of the men have been been discussing this, and um, we've been reading an article by Vern Poitras called Why Lying is Always Wrong. Okay. Why lie? I mean, his position is very clear. Why lying is always wrong. But the subtitle of that article is The Uniqueness of Verbal Deceit. The Uniqueness of Verbal Deceit, Using Words to Lie. And then he goes through the whole article and he, he says, look, there's, we're told to not bear false witness. And we're told to be... To, to have mouths of truth. We're spo- and God is a God of truth, and we're s- to speak truth. And so he says, look, there's a, difference between, there's a difference between words spoken that you conceive of in order to, de- in order to um, turn somebody away off the path with a lie, and deception, where you act in a certain way and it's the person watching who makes the interpretation of what you're doing. It's not equivalent. One, you are actively trying to lead somebody astray through falsehood. The other one, you are, you, you're acting weird and you're not acting to yourself, but you're not saying words that are so clear. Someone has to look on and interpret your actions. And so there's a distance. There's a difference between the two. Now, you may buy that or not buy that. Um, <clears throat> I'm beginning to buy it. I think it's, it's very helpful. Um, you know, there, there certainly are people in Scripture who lie and aren't condemned for it. Rahab being the preeminent example. She outright lied. She was not condemned. But that doesn't mean she didn't sin. Okay, there could have been sin involved in that. And as we know, God uses sin for his own ends. Right? The Joseph and his brothers. They sinned against him, but God meant it for good. And so we know that, but 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 this distinction between lying with your lips and deceiving with your actions, is, is worth thinking about. Here's what Poitras says in this article. He says, I don't think the two are equivalent, words and actions. But why? It's not easy to say. Grudem and Murray make the same distinction that I do between verbal and nonverbal action. As an illustration, Grudem describes a situation in which he leaves a light on in his house when he goes on a trip. Why do you leave lights on when you go on a trip? You want to deceive robbers. That's what you want to do. He intends to mislead thieves, but he's not lying. It's not a lie. It's not bearing false witness. He leaves the light on to create, to allow somebody else to think the false impression that there's somebody in the house. Right? He intends to mislead thieves, but he is not lying. If a friend sees the light on, he may infer that Grudem is at home. Yet if he later learns that Grudem is in another city, he will take no offense. He knows that he just misinterpreted the meaning of the light. If, however, Grudem tells him that he will be at home, the friend can legitimately hold him to his word. In other words, if he says, I'm going to be at home, and all there is is the light, then he can hold him to his word. Right? 
Verbal communication is different from leaving a light on or setting an ambush or feigning a retreat, all of which the people of Israel did in Scripture, right? Feigning a retreat like, um, is military tactics. It is, a different, it is different from a maneuver... Uh, excuse me. It is different from a maneuver in sports in which the player with the ball fakes going one direction in order to draw the defender that way and then changes course to another direction. So what is different? When no words are involved, physical actions have to be interpreted. But when words are involved, there's interpretation built in. There's meaning built in. But actions always have to be interpreted. When no words are involved, physical actions have to be interpreted. They are potentially multivalent, have many, uh, multivalent in meanings. Does the action of a player charging in one direction mean that he will continue to go in that direction? Well, maybe, maybe not. A skilled opponent knows that the player may change direction perhaps multiple times. Does an army moving back from battle engagement indicate a genuine retreat? Or is it something else? Who knows? The obvious interpretation may lie in one direction, but the interpreter must make the decision, and it is his decision, not a decision dictated by some intrinsic, inalienable meaning in the physical action itself. Words and utterances obviously need interpretation too, but the interpretation is constrained by language, and language is regular, right? It has specific meanings. The regularities in the meaning of words and the regularities of personal communication. Statements can be true or false, right? Actions can't be true or false. They have to be interpreted as leading to one place or another. By contrast, a football maneuver or a military maneuver is neither true nor false. The maneuver does not say anything except to the extent that interpreter reads in some significance and concludes that it says it in a metaphorical extended sense, right? Truth is not the issue in nonverbal actions. Now, you may think this is nitpicking, but I think this is something that we face in situations all the time. The interpretation of actions is incredibly comp- hard, Right? We're always misinterpreting actions, misinterpreting people's actions. That's because the entire meaning of it depends upon us doing the interpreting. Right? But with words, words are clear. Words have specific meanings. Now, there's interpretation that needs to come with words, too. But it's not, it's not even close to the complexity of interpreting actions, right? I mean, right? And so, uh, so somebody can say something to us. We, de- we can definitely hear something else, right? But they had an intent in it. They had an intent to convey something very specific. With actions, the, there's an intent to deceive, but, but there's, no way to, there's no way to analyze it based on true or false. And that interpretation relies on the viewer. So... Um, So is David lying here? No, he's not lying. Lying uses words. Is he deceiving? Yes. Is that okay? Well, of course it's okay. Who interprets his actions? Achish does. Does Achish get it right? 
No, he doesn't get it right. He doesn't say, oh, he's faking it. You know, get him in here so I can lop off his head. He says he's mad. He's mad. This man has lost his mind. He's fled from Saul. Saul has obviously gotten into his, his heart. And he's mad. And then that leads to his escape. And so this is all David. David, by the providence of God and by this crazy action, being given escape by God from somebody who's trying to kill him. Now, I think one of the funniest verses in all of Scripture is, do I lack madmen that you have brought me this one to act the madman in my presence? Do I lack madmen? <laughs> apparently, um, apparently, there was something going around in, uh, in Gath. Um, it sounds exactly like what any self-righteous king would say in any era, in any land, right? Do I lack madmen? Um, so, again, even the use of deception, though. Here's where I want to go with this. Um, this all started when, a few weeks ago, I said in a sermon that lying is okay at times. And, um, and then, you know, in, in thinking back through that... Um, <clears throat> I think we are to bear. We, we are always to be truthful with our with our words, okay? Because the intent of the meaning relies upon us, and we are to be men of truth. We are to have integrity. We are to have mouths of truth, just as God always speaks truth. And yet, um, there are times when our actions we intentionally leave interpretation up to somebody else. We just intentionally leave interpretation to somebody else, and that's, that's, that's inevitable with actions, right? We want our military to be great at deception. We want that, but that's not lying. That's not them practicing falsehood, right? That's them trying to make something appear one way and the enemy making a false interpretation of that move, Right? And that is um, that is licit. That is okay. But I want to say that the stakes are really high here still, right? I the there when I was speaking of the lie of necessity that at times we can lie, like Rahab. Lives are at stake, right? The the stakes are very high, and usually it's that human life is at stake, right? Even still here, human life is at stake. You know, Paul, uh, I mean, David is not going around and manipulating uh, people through actions because he wants a sandwich. Right? Which all of you have probably done at some point. I know I have manipulated my wife for a sandwich. <laughs> not, not with words, but with actions. <laughs> oh, <no>. um, <clears throat> usually with words. Um, but, but that we, so, so even still here, he is, this is life and death. He is fearful and we only get in him. I mean, this, this passage is very quick and we don't, <clears throat> and we don't really get, um, it doesn't seem like it's very intense, right? I mean, it just seems like a quick sort of funny little vignette, but there are, there are three Psalms. 
three psalms that deal with this time in David's life. Three psalms. I mean, what other time gets as many psalms as that? Well, there are probably others, but they're not labeled. We get labels on these. And, and, um, and so we can turn to the psalms and we find out that David is in a terrible, terrible situation. He is scared deeply for his life. And so um, the first psalm I want to turn to, is it 56? I know it's not 57. That's later. 56 um, is, yeah, 56. 56. Look at the the inspired um, uh, intro to this. For the choir director, according to Jonathan Elam Rehoikim, a miktam of David when the Philistines seized him at Gath. And so it's, it seems clear that he was seized, that he was imprisoned, that, that they had control of him to a certain extent. And, um, and, and, and in the passage it says that they came upon him. And he says this, I mean, listen to this cry. Be gracious to me, O God, for man, for man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? All day long they distort my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They attack, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited to take my life. Because of wickedness, cast them forth. In anger, put down the peoples, O God. You have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Your vows are binding upon me, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, indeed my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. So, a little more intense than we get in 1 Samuel 21, right? He is fearful. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. What? And then he's convincing himself of the truths of God like we're, we're convincing ourselves of the truths of God in the death of Aubrey, right? We have to remind ourselves what God has said. And he says, you know, he says what, can, what can man do to me? What can mere man do to me? And... And, that, and I see the heart of this as, as verse 9. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. This I know, that God is for me. God is for me. He's going to give God glory for this deliverance. Even as he's letting saliva run down his beard, he's saying God is for me. Even as he has to do these actions, right? The, this heavens aren't opening up and lightning coming down and the king of Gath being killed. David's having to let spit run on his face and, drib, and scribble on the doors. 
And yet he's still saying, God is for me. God is for me. So he gives glory to God. And then there's Psalm 34. Psalm 34. This one has this this intro. A psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. Right? So we get the end of the story in the intro of this. This is when he's feigning madness. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For to, to those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who's the man who desires life and loves lengths of days that he may see good? Remember, he's faking his, his insanity so that he may stay alive. And he's saying, like, God kept me alive. Come and learn from me now. God is good. Right? Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Isn't it interesting that that's mentioned there? He keeps his lips from speaking deceit. He does not lie. There's that distinction built right into this passage. Yet he's deceiving by his actions. And your lips from speaking deceit depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Now, <clears throat> again, the center of this may be being the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. The angel of the Lord encamps around them. And that statement, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. David has tasted and seen that the Lord is good to him. What a ridiculous deliverance. What an, in, in, what an insane deliverance, right? Um, and then, of course, the end of this is, is what? What's in the last section of the psalm? A prophecy. Prophecy of whom? Jesus. Not one of His bones will be broken, right? Right? He keeps all His bones. Not one of them is broken. And so you think of the affliction of Jesus on the cross. And this psalm being a, a, a psalm written by the Holy Spirit 
prophesying the, the, the end of Jesus, and yet the whole psalm being sort of uh, sung by Jesus as he suffers on the cross. Right? Rejoicing in God, tasting, you know, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, um, finding, finding his, his refuge in the Lord, finding deliverance through his Father. And um, and it's beautiful. And so this 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 time in Gath is really intense for David. And First Samuel, in a sense, doesn't do it justice. And wonderfully, the, by the Spirit, we have these psalms that fill in the blanks for us. And we see that God, that David, has cried out to the Lord, has trusted in the Lord, has feared the Lord, and the Lord has seen, uh, has shown him favor. And has delivered him through this. Just one last comment back in First Samuel 22. So David departs from there. He, he's rescued. He, he leaves. And escapes to the cave of Agilom. Goes into a cave. Um, generally in scripture, caves are not great places to be. Um, sort of represent death. Uh, you think of... Um, you think of uh, man, I'm just blanking on names right now. But the um, in Genesis with um, Lot and his daughters, right in uh, in the cave, and um, <clears throat> so he goes there into this cave, and who comes to him? Who comes to him? His family, his brothers, his mother, his father. Right, they come to him. And um, eventually we see that that David goes down to Moab or goes to Moab and says, care for my my family and leaves them with Moab. And, and you know, we're not that far removed from their connection to Moab. Right. And Ruth. And so um, wonderful provision of the Lord there. But but who else comes to him? Everybody who needs something. It's like a ragtag bunch, right? What, what other crowds does this remind you of? Those who came to Jesus, right? The sick. Those who, who, had, who, who had leprosy. Those who, who needed healing. Those, uh, I mean, who did he have dinner with? He had dinner with prostitutes and sinners, and tax collectors, right? And so... The same sort of crowd gathers around David here. Everyone who was in distress. They wanted a savior. They needed a savior. Right? And they, they, are, they are loyal to the king. Loyal to David. Everyone who is in distress. Everyone who is in debt. You know? I, had no, I got no way to provide. I got nowhere to go. I think I'll go to a cave in the wilderness with the king. And everyone who is discontented, discontented, gathered to him, and he became captain over them. He became captain over them. Now, there were about 400 men with him. And this would become, you know, his, his army. This would become those who, who um, are with him. They would also become a temptation to him, wouldn't they? Part of this discontentment and part of this need is not good. 
These are the men who would eventually say what? Why don't you kill Saul? David won't do it. David won't lay his hand against the Lord's anointed. And so their influence is not all uh, positive. Their discontentment leads them to push David toward discontentment. And David, though, is a righteous man and will not lay his hand on the Lord's anointed. So we'll pick up from here next time. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, Father, I pray that you would help us to understand um, what it means to not bear false witness, what it means to be men and women and boys and girls of truth. Father, I pray that you would show us, show us that you do, uh, that, that you taste good. Lord, that, that you are our are all. Father, that we have all that we need in you. That you will surround us with, with your angels. That you will, you will give us what we need in every circumstance. And even if we are to lose our lives, Father, we know that our, uh, we, our souls are safe in you. And we can never be removed from your hand. Lord, we thank you for this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.